0: G'day and again. off from this Starbucks. Can't wait to get a coffee here when it opens. It is the early hours of the morning here in Tokyo. I've got this one done and then I'm logging off because I'm going on holidays. But today's episode is with an absolute legend. She's a rock star, Julia Spicer. She has multiple different roles. She is Queensland's chief entrepreneur, which we'll touch on. She runs her own business, Engage and Create Consulting. She is just actually just a legend. When I was in Gandhi, I was part of an unfortunate incident. So Jules and I chat about that, find out a little bit more about gundawindi through her. But she took myself and Hannah in for a couple of nights, gave us a bed and showed us the best and kind of unlocked the greatest things about gundawindi So Jules' story is fascinating. She took a few different turns, studied natural resource management. She's just so passionate and a true champion and advocate for rural Australia. She makes sure that rural Australia is getting represented at the table. and we chat what that's like and how she's been able to, I guess, build and forge her career. What are maybe some of the things that she went without or or put to the side to prioritise the opportunities she's pursued. So let's get into this one. Julia Spicer, a long time in the (laughs) making. Yes. It's been a few years, I reckon, I've been, uh, well, I think it was end of 2021, I was hoping to come to Gundy for an event that you guys were running country here. Country
1: Spark, I think it was, wasn't it was it? Yeah. And
0: I got stuck on the other side of the river just in Texas. Yes. So it's great to be here. It's been an interesting morning for me in Gundy. Little 3am wake up.
1: <laughs> You've had the best and the worst of country towns, I think, in the last few hours.
0: I have, I have. So normally, Jules, we do an acknowledgement on the country we're on. Yeah. Can you... Tell us a little bit about where we are and maybe just the area of Gundy. Yep,
1: yeah, absolutely. So we are sitting on Biggambool country while we have this conversation uh, and we, are, you know, acknowledge our traditional owners here, the Biggambool people. I'm really grateful that through a lot of the work over many years, I've been able to work with elders past and present and it is, I'm really excited about what the future holds. So we are lucky that in this part of the world we are actually on land that has a really rich Indigenous history. Uh, we know that we've got some fairly meaningful and important, you know, um, places not far from here. So you've travelled past grinding grooves. We've got the Rockwells. We've got Boobra Lagoon, not that far. So, you know, you really are here in Gundawindi sitting amongst some pretty special um, traditional lands. And
0: well, Gandhi, I'll say I've I've been here. Twenty fifteen, I was here passing through. I was harvesting not too far south, and know a few people from in and around the area. And last night, so really interesting. I guess I'd heard about some of the challenges of, especially this, well, southern Queensland, northern New South Wales, and, and what's happening. I got to experience it, which was interesting in itself. Some some challenged youth who, which are, and it seems through social media that it's actually quite normal in this area, decided they'll try and break in and steal a car. And there are some challenges. But then on the flip side, within a couple of hours, sitting at the cafe at the Lardner, practically the sponsor of this episode, yeah, <laughs> got to meet all kinds of different people. So it is a pretty special community here as well.
1: Look, I think, so I didn't grow up in Gundawindi. I moved here for a three-month contract, I think about 18 years ago, I would have never gone home. So I grew up on Mandandanji country, north of Roma, up near Injune. Uh, right on the Great Dividing Range, basically. So beautiful part of the world and as is Gundawindi, but very much floodplain country down here. Uh, and I think there's some things that make Gundawindi and this region super special. Uh, and I think the diversity of agriculture, which is what you saw at the LADA when we had everybody coming through from every industry and every service part of that in, of the supply chain, you know, we have every part of agriculture here. We have dry land and irrigation. We have all sorts of intensive to broad acre, to organic, to whatever, whatever. So we're pretty unique in that part of the world from a Queensland perspective. You know, if if we focus on that, there's other communities in other parts of Australia that would have the diversity of ag, but not so much in Queensland often, and particularly in Western Queensland. So that means that even for a small community, you know, there's 6,000 people in Gundy and about 12,000 across the region, I think they kind of say, across the council region. So for us to have all of our banks, all of our services, all of everything in this community is actually pretty rare. And so that's the opportunities that we have and all of the excitement. Exactly as you said, there are also some really, you know, we've got some real challenges in this part of the world where a cross-border community Gundawindi region is also really made up of Gundi, Bogabilla, and Tumala. You know, it is the three communities that service. Uh, We have a border, which is the river between us, which was, you know, everybody heard about during COVID. Um, But that creates a whole heap of issues for a whole lot of services as well. And I think, you know, I'm really sad that you had the experience that you had early this morning and you are not the only person to have had that. And it wasn't your door. You you know, so imagine the people whose door it actually was and they were an elderly couple from what you said. So that's really awful, right? For all of the great promotion that we do about how awesome our region is, we need one person knocking down a door and we've lost that again. And yet it is not a simple solution, right? Like I think what we're seeing across Southern Queensland and Northern New South Wales is a symptom of, you know, some much bigger and deeper and longer challenges that have that we're yet to work out a solution you know you and I talked about it you pull a thread on youth crime and you come across a whole lot of other challenges that also need to be solved if we actually want to have a situation where people can feel safe in our little communities
0: well and then I think um you look across the regions and it's there's youth crimes one issue then there's education healthcare. like it's it's sparse I think what's really cool about you and your work not only do you have your own consulting piece on the side you you're also currently the Queensland Chief Entrepreneur, which I'm keen to flesh out. But let's, let's chat about Ag and Fuse. So grew up in and around Injun. how Had we have come across you in your childhood, what was Jules as a kid like and, and what were you interested in?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so I grew up in a small community by Mount. So a school, you know, one teacher school on the side of the road, we had a tennis court and a oval and, you know, that was my schooling. I was the only kid in my class for a few years uh, and then went to progressively bigger schools. Uh, I'm the eldest of three and uh, it was my dad's family farm that I grew up on and my mum and dad are both were both teachers by trade as well. And the Jules that you would have seen as a young kid loved animals, loved being outside, had a motorbike. Uh, the young Julia wanted to be a vet until she realised what effort that would bring at school and so <laughs> looked for other options. Um, but I've always had a love of the environment and our natural landscapes basically and so Yeah. I mean, we were really lucky to have what typical, you know, it's not until years later you realize what a blessed and privileged childhood we had growing up on a farm. And you also don't realise actually what mum and dad were going through a lot of the times, which we were just completely unaware of as children. So, you know, we had all the potties as pets, the joeys as pets, the, you know, finding animals in places of the house that we probably shouldn't find them and all of the best (laughs) bits of of a country kid's you know, childhood, basically. It was awesome. And so where did that take you?
0: You went through school. You mentioned natural resources. I know you ended up down that pathway. What were those interests? And, and did you see, yeah, a specific career that you yeah. were held into?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. So I did what most country kids do. We went to um, went to schools in our local area, and then I ended up at boarding school in Toowoomba and did a few years at Downlands. Um, and when I finished there, I was pretty clear on what I wanted to do, which at that stage was the natural resource management side of things. And uh, and so what I was able to do was get accepted to Gatton, to the University of Queensland at the Gatton campus. And uh, But what I did do was take a year and I did a rotary exchange and spent time in Switzerland. So I went to a French high school, lived with Swiss-German families and had, um, so that was 1997, I had a year living in the middle of Europe, which going from Bymount to uh, the middle of, you know, Europe in Switzerland was was a bit of a culture shock. But I think what that did in a few different ways was, one, make me appreciate what we have here in Australia. And even as a 17-year-old, you know, there was so much to be grateful for and so much to appreciate that we didn't have a history of needing to know what war was like. You know, we didn't have very many landmarks of, of world wars in any of the places that I'd lived. Um, but we also didn't necessarily know a lot of our long term history. So, a lot of the, you know, thousands of years of history in Europe, I'd never really considered from an Australian perspective. And we didn't have thousands of years of European civilization, but we did of First Nations people. And that was probably the start, to be honest, of some of my interest in actually being really. Honest and being really curious around what our whole history is for this country. Um, so I had a great time over there, and it made me really excited. At the end of that year, I was pumped to come back and get into uni, and I was really excited about um, what that might look like. I did four years at uni, had a fat time, uh, and and more and more realised that I knew that you know, ag and the regions were my people. It was where I thought I wanted to contribute. It was what I was excited about. I worked for the horticulture industry when I first left uni and so was based in Brisbane but worked with uh, vegetable growers across northern New South Wales, Queensland and the Northern Territory, which was just so exciting and an industry that I had never had any experience with. Uh, And so I always, you know, I would often say to, you know, sheep and cattle uh, producers, to grains guys, you know, spend a week being a lettuce producer and then we need to talk about what's really challenging in our industries. You know, I think horticulture is one of those that really is impacted so much more than some of the others. And and I found that was a really good thing to be part of. But what I got to was a point where I was going off to, you know, national lettuce conferences and diseases in carrot conferences. And I was like, mate, I, I don't know what we're talking about. You know, yeah. I, I need to either go back and study horticulture or I need to bounce and do what I was actually trained in. And so I ended up back out in Western Queensland at Mitchell working for the land care and catchment group out there. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. With any hesitations,
0: like had you started to fall in love with being in and around the city or you've wanted to get I, back out?
1: Brisbane, for me, I loved it and it was a great place to be for early 20s, uh, but it was still it was still a transit place for me. I lived in Brisbane and travelled to Bowen, travelled to south of Darwin where the Vietnamese farmers were setting up horticulture in that part of the world. I travelled to the Lockyer Valley. So, you know, I was still really there to as a transit place through to somewhere else. So... And for me, I thought if I really, what I'd studied, what I wanted to do, I couldn't do that in Brisbane. That that wasn't the environment that I wanted to do. I I loved my time there and it's a beautiful city and really it's a big country town at the end of the day. But what I wanted to be part of was not in that environment. And so I was going to end up somewhere else back in the regions and it just happened to be Mitchell.
0: So you ended up out there in, in Western Queensland and
1: where did you go from there? So I was in Mitchell for a few years uh, and that was sort of early 2000s by this stage. uh, And, you know, Mitchell to where mum and dad lived was really only about an hour, hour and a half away. So I was able to spend some more time with them on the farm and helping out. Uh, And it was pretty much from Mitchell to Gundawindi, really. I took some time off to help mum and dad during one of the droughts one of the many droughts we always have. And there was an opportunity to do a short-term contract down here in Gundawindi with the Natural Resource Management Group. And they asked if I would do it and I could do it backwards and forwards a little bit. Uh, so I'd come down to Gundawindi for a couple of weeks and then go back to um, back to Mount, And um, to be fair, ended up, got to a point where they paid better than dad did. Uh, and the opportunity to kind of come down and take a role where I managed a team of both technical officers, so soils experts, vegetation, salinity, uh, and also land care officers. So that sort of those extension roles with producers, traditional owners, councils, um, that was a pretty good opportunity and pretty hard to pass up in my mid to late 20s or whatever I was at that stage. Uh, So I came down here for three months. And like I said, I've been here ever since. So I ended up doing about um, nearly 10 years with the Uh, natural resource management group here in a whole range of different roles. Uh, And really this region, why wouldn't you? You've been here uh, this morning, the the latter part of your visit today. (laughs) uh, You've seen the best of what we've got to offer. So um, yeah, I really, really enjoy it. I want
0: to know, like, so what I know of you, Jules, you're, I'll say, incredibly aspirational in terms of the impact you want to have. Did you ever feel hamstrung or did you... I'm trying to think, of I want to, don't want to say like um, content here, but like, did you take the foot off the accelerator or, or have bigger aspirations beyond kind of
1: So I think it's a really good question uh, and it's probably one that, to be fair, grapple with on a really regular basis, right? Uh, so so a couple of things, I, as you know, and and mentioned, I've got this role with the Queensland Government at the moment as Chief Entrepreneur but have also sat on state and federal boards from a relatively young age. And in some ways, I am a bit of a weirdo, and even in this community, right? Like I am 44, 45 this year in 2024. I don't have children. We don't have a family. I have a stepdaughter and, and I'm married now. But I think for a long time, I didn't fit the mold of a regional woman. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty ambitious um, pretty keen to, as you said, like have impact and be useful. And so that is is hard sometimes to do in the confines of a smaller community, yeah? And yet, if we can be clear on what it is that we want to contribute to, there's a whole lot of ways that we can do that and still be place-based. So still live in Gundawindi and have impact here and in other regional communities. And I think that was part of it was some professional development I was able to do to look at you know how do we get clear on what we want to do why are we here what are we here to contribute to and then how do I want to do that and where do I need to be to do that and and the work that you do shows that people can be actually based all over Australia and do that really well and in fact we need to be so so I very doggedly <laughs> and I am very clear when I am speaking to people all over the place that there is intelligent life form west of the range (laughs) and say that all the time, that, you know, the regions have the solutions to the world's problems, not just our problems. If we can solve a problem here in Gundawindi, we've actually solved that for the world. There are Gundawindis on every continent, maybe other than Antarctica, but there are Gundawindis on every continent and they are looking for the solutions that we may have here in our community. And so how do we make sure that we are looking up and out all of the time? And not everybody's in a position to be able to do that, right? That's not everybody's role. It's some people's role to be able to create and produce and make the product. And it's your or my role to be able to help them see that that actually then has an opportunity for other people and that there's another value that they've created as a result of that. And I think that that's the opportunity that I've got to be able to take solutions that we're finding and go, that's really awesome, Ollie. I know 10 other communities like ours where they need that solution, I'll bring them to you or I'll take you to them or you need to sell that to somebody in the middle to be able to create that value elsewhere. And I genuinely think that the regions are where the solutions will be found because we've got to be resilient. We've got to be innovative. It's second nature to us. We don't have to get worked up over the lingo and the language and all of the rest of it. We just crack on and get it done. And I think that is our superpower that we do not realize that it's, we just get on with it and that is our best thing and that will also be our undoing because we don't realize that what we do is pretty amazing.
0: Mm, just so busy just I guess identifying Doing problems it. and finding a solution to overcome the
1: problem. 100%. So we need the storytellers and we need the amplifiers in the communities to be able to do that.
0: Did you have a, like, a plan around your career and, and a map of how things could work out?
1: No, yes and no. Probably no and then maybe yes is probably the best way to do that. You're going to have to explain that for me. I <laughs> think so. After a while, I was probably still in Mitchell, I reckon. And there were some conversations that were happening in our community around a few different things The drought was on. There were some families going through some fairly awful succession planning situations. Mental health was starting to be spoken about. I'd had some people in my networks that had successfully committed suicide. And so there was some pretty awful stuff going on. And I got to a point through a whole range of different conversations and I was like, you know what? The environment would actually be fine if the humans in the environment were okay. And so this piece around. How do we work on the people and how do we support the people and the environment will then sort itself out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And you hear that a lot now in the regen ag side of things. But so, so for me, what I realized was if I can actually help the people and have facilitate some of the conversations with people more, that's going to get the impact and the outcome of the environment. That's also important to me. And so that sent me down a path of some more study around, you know, personality styles, how do people handle conflict, what do people look at, you know, understanding more about the way in which different people can see the world. And that was really useful to me. And then what it helped me see when I left my role with the NRM group was that I did have this random set of skills that could actually still add value in communities that I wanted to be able to work with. And so from a consulting perspective, You know, I could sit with people, whether they were local councils or not-for-profit groups or farming families, and just ask them questions and help uncomplicate what they'd kind of got themselves wrapped up in. And I think that's probably, for me, one of the things I am never the smartest person in the room, but I can, and so I can help uncomplicate things. Well, I can take really complex situations and go. I get that that's all going on, but I think at the end of the day, maybe we just need to. If are these the two or three things that you're dealing with? And then we can do something about that, right? Because whilst ever we stay all twisted up, we can't do anything out of that, right? We need action and momentum. And so I think that's kind of from a consulting perspective where I kind of started to be useful. You've got all this going on. What are the two or three things we could do now that might start to help get some clarity around that? And so the people piece I think is really important, right? So for me, through all of that, I got to work out. What I actually reckon I can do is help viable and vibrant communities. And that sounds a bit wanky, but at the end of the day, we need to talk about money more in the regions because we actually don't. We need businesses that are profitable. You know, generational farming families are great if there is still profit in that. And if there's not, we are literally putting nooses around people's necks, I think. People need to feel that they can step out of generational heartache in some circumstances if that's not going to serve them. And so the viability piece we often don't talk about. We talk about the tradition and we talk about the history and we talk about all of the rest of it, but we need to actually make some money. And that's not always the case. And so that viability piece I think is really important. And then the other piece is around vibrancy. So we need different people. We need diversity. We need cultural activity. We need, you know, diversity is not gender-based, is not just about Indigenous and non-Indigenous. It's not just age. Like we actually need to be Have more conversation about what diversity looks like in our communities. And so they're the two where I reckon I can get away with having some conversations and be a bit cheeky about pushing the envelope so that we're actually creating communities that are both. We are not trees. We live in the regions because we want to live here, not because we can't live anywhere else. And I think they're the messages that I hear you talk about really clearly. And I think that's the message that we constantly need to be. Pushing, and that's our challenge in the regions is to think about how we can do that in a really positive and constructive and intelligent way rather than the you know banging the table sometimes that we end up doing. I think there's a place for that, but that's not always going to serve the broader community. Understand what it is that we do out here, yeah. And I think
0: how I think about it like, I don't like the word tell, I think like show and share and create conversations. I think the sharing side of things, of stories and, and whatnot, that's where it creates that dialogue and then that's where the real human connection piece comes in. And I think with platforms and accessibility now, that's how we can do it in different ways.
1: Well, you and I have talked about this before, you know, uh, we don't, regional people don't like it when urban city-based people go, you should be doing this and you should be doing that and you should, should, should. Nobody likes that. Yet we kind of do it back the other way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And don't understand why they maybe aren't embracing us as much, you know, like, you should love us. We are, you know, you can't eat without us. You can't do this. Well, actually, they could. It'd all be imported. Wouldn't be nearly as good, but actually, they could. And us banging them over the head is exactly what they do to us. And we don't like that. So, how do we have that conversation in a slightly different way? And it's good to be provocative, but we actually need to build some relationships out of this. And I think you know, I, I'm yet to enjoy a conversation with somebody when they're just like smashing me around the face for what I'm not doing well. I think we need to, you know, there's some other ways we could try some things, you know, what got us here might not get us there kind of stuff.
0: Mm. So I'm just going to have a quick vent here while we, because yeah. along those lines, I think when, when we, I'll say we as Australian agriculture talk about feeding the world as well, like I kind of think, well, actually don't really, like in the scheme of things, we're quite small in terms of the number of people we can feed, but. Where the real opportunities are is what we know, the practices, how do we, like our, our greatest export as Australian agriculture actually will be our knowledge and skills 100%. to lift others up. And that's where I think ag is such a beautiful conduit. 40% of the world's population are working in it. So it's how do you lift people up?
1: And whilst we might not feed the whole world like we talk about, we certainly produce some of the best quality food in the world. Mm. We certainly do it in some of the best environmental ways. Uh, we certainly do it in the best way in terms of, you know, in terms of some of our our ways in which we support our staff and our employees. And, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of things that we do really well and the best in the world. But yeah, I think sometimes we've just got to check the stories that we're telling ourselves. We've got to just make sure that they're...
0: Language is important.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, and I'd say I, I shied away a lot from conversations around economics, especially of business and whatnot. And for me, even with Humans of Ag, it was like in the vision of what we see agriculture doing, that healthy, happy, and prosperous. Like initially I didn't have prosperity in there, but I think prosperity and and regions and areas and industries thriving, so important. For you, going down that consulting route, you had to then put a value on what you knew. Did you doubt yourself? Like How how did imposter syndrome come into this? Oh, my God. On a daily
1: basis. Right now, my
0: friend. (laughs) No, because what's like... So interesting in that is you had to put a dollar value on your time because you actually had to create a livelihood. And how was that received, I guess, initially as you were trying to, I'll say, convince people? Yeah.
1: Yep. So a couple of things. Uh, I came from the not-for-profit land, so I was used to doing as much as I could for as many people as I could for as, for as, little, as little as I could. Yeah. <laughs> so that is not the best way to start a business, my friend. Um, yeah. So that was- Charity. A, yeah. <laughs> that was a massive thing to kind of get my head around. I can't remember where the statistic is and somebody will prove me wrong, but I think that the statistic that I use is that when it comes to women in business and regional women in business, whatever our hourly rate is, we should times it by three because that's probably more likely what it should actually be. Uh, So at one point, and respect to all of the cleaning ladies and ironing ladies across Australia... Uh, but I remember at one stage, somebody going, Julia, you know, I, I pay my cleaning lady more than you're asking me to pay here. And I was like, yeah. And he's and they're like, we're expecting slightly more from you than we are the, the cleaning and ironing lady. And I was like, thank "Thank you. you. That is (laughs) awesome feedback. And I have said that story a thousand times in the last decade. So there's a couple of things in that. The other thing is like, I... I, when I left my role, I knew I wanted to stay living in Gundawindi. I went to some other places around Gundie to see if there were any jobs available, and there weren't at that stage. Maybe they were, and they didn't want to give it to me. Um, and so there was little strategy to me starting my business. And I reckon that is really common across regional Australia. We start it out of a necessity, mm-hmm. not necessarily because we come with the you know, MBA and a business degree, which is not what I see in most of the people that I work with. They have started a business around something that they're good at or passionate about, not because they have a business skill. And so I think that's the other thing that's really important is we can learn the business along the way, do what you're good at, and we can, we can build that business skill around you. But what I did do and what I think regional Australia is just so great at is I sent a message. I put a message out whether it was LinkedIn or Facebook at the time, I don't know, saying in three months, I'm done. I, I will be starting my own business. If anybody's got anything that you want me to do, let me know. And within that three months, I had enough work where I have actually ever since never had to beg. There's the times where I go, geez, when this project's finished, I'm not sure what's coming next. By the time we've always got a pipeline coming through. And I 100% believe that that is the generosity of the networks. And because I can deliver on stuff, but I would not have started had I not been brave to say, hey, hands up, anybody need me to do anything? And people willingly going, we will give you a crack. So I, I think that's a really awesome message. And to bring it back to this Gundawindi community, we are incredibly lucky here that we have the older generation prepared to support the younger generation in ideas, advice, engagement, you know, contracting us to do things for them. So, you know, we're a community that really one generation is genuinely supporting the next. Mm-hmm. That might be the case in other communities. I don't always see that, but I definitely have experienced it here. I think that's really important. Um, but I think the value piece is really one of those things where we need to keep coming back to it all of the time. And and then it's that piece around how do we make sure we're not, um, you're not, people aren't valuing their hourly time, but more their decades of experience, and and that's the whole next level. Having said that, Ollie, I don't live in downtown Sydney or Brisbane, and I don't need, I'm really clear on what I want to earn, how much I need to earn, and so therefore I don't need to make a million dollars out of this consulting business because I have multiple streams of income. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm really clear on who I want to work with and I also kind of know what that threshold of what they can afford. And so I will most definitely not be the most expensive consultant in regional Australia and I am 100% okay with that because it means I get to do the work that I want to do with the people I want to work with Yeah, and I'm fine with that.
0: How important has that been for you to go to, to keep that passion of where the consulting piece started around solving real problems and having impact?
1: And it's easy to be dragged out of that too, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, you've done some, some good leadership programs as well, you've, you know, and I think this leadership piece is really important. So how much is ego? How much of it is actually what I think I can deliver on? And if ego was driving me and when ego drives me, I end up in a complete pickle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've signed up for jobs that I actually don't really want to do. I've got to deal with people who are not my peeps. I have to wear shoes and proper clothes. (laughs) They're not, you know, I, and, and I do, you know, it'll happen and I'll be like, oh Christ, I've done (laughs) it again, you know? And so I think it is you mentioned language before and the messaging, you know, I am a hundred percent your person if you want precise action. You're in the pursuit of excellence, not perfection. You don't need the most polished person in the room. You know, I'm really clear now on what that looks like for me. Um, And I think it is really important because otherwise you will get pulled from pillar to post. And the more people are known, you know, the more that there's a personality attached to somebody. And so even stepping into this chief entrepreneur role, I'm the fifth chief entrepreneur that Queensland government's had. I'm the first one that's been based regionally And for that matter, the first two were investors, the second two were quite techie, had, you know, tech backgrounds, and then voila, Julia rolls in. And so I, you know, I'm really clear around what innovation looks like in Brisbane is very different to what it looks like in Bullyear or Birdsville, and that is okay. And I am very clear on You know, if you're having roundtables around what investment should look like around such and such, it's actually really important to have some people from Emerald and Toowoomba at the table because there's wealth in the regions that you have forgotten about. And there's more millionaires probably wandering the streets of Gundawindi today than there is in, you know, downtown, wherever. And so I think, yes, this is a state-based role, but very clearly the importance and the bit that I will bring that the others historically have not brought is the fact that it is going to be inclusive and that everybody gets to have a say around what innovation looks like. And it might not be innovative to you because you're 10 years ahead of us, but out here, this is actually what it looks like. And this is what we need investment in and this is why. And I think that's the piece where we can be really clear around, um, again, that piece of intelligent life form in regional areas. We've got the solutions, how we need to be able to do this. And at the same time, ask for and be really clear around what it is that we need to be able to deliver on that. We need really good telecommunications. We need, you know, regions to be an opportunity, you know, be seen in a, you know, not in that sort of scarcity mentality, but actually see us for what we are, which is powerhouses that are going to help solve, you know, we cannot meet all of the targets that our governments are setting in South East Queensland. They need the regions for climate and carbon targets, which I think are awesome. We 100% need to set some targets. They are not going to be met in downtown Brisbane. So so how are the regions brought along? How are communities brought along with this whole transformation? Huwenden has got everything coming at it in Queensland as a result of the Jobs and Energy Plan. How do we make sure that they learn from what happened to coal and gas communities across Western Queensland and learn to get ahead of what's coming rather than be reactive and it's happened to their main street before they've had an opportunity to work out what they want or how they're going to actually benefit as a result of it.
0: So from an un- uneducated point of view, can I ask you a question on that? Like did some of those towns that thrive with investment in coal seam gas essentially, my, bad pun, blow up in the sense of they, it came in, it was so exciting, so much money, investment in the area, and then... Dries up,
1: yeah, pretty much. So, so let me talk for some of the communities that I know in this sort of Western Downs, Maranoa, up to Emerald. You know, people would say there was a housing boom, and now there's a housing bust. You know, people long term, um, people who lived in that community all of a sudden couldn't afford to live in their own region. We often joke about the main street was orange shirts before anybody kind of realised what was going on. Now those those businesses brought a lot to community. And regional communities did really well out of that. I sometimes wonder if we could have done better if we were more prepared for it. I wonder if we could have been able to hold on to the legacy piece longer if we were more aware of what was actually happening. And so I think there's an opportunity for us to learn from that, right? Because there will be another, there will be booms and busts all across. Happened in ag over... Generations. So that will happen in other industries. It's how do we learn from each time so that next time um, we can take more advantage of it or we can understand it better? We can see what that looks like. And that's probably where we've got some learnings out of a whole range of different industries, right? Mm. I want to ask
0: so, and we might get to what's ahead for you, but given your aspirations that you have for rural, regional, and remote Australia and especially Queensland. How come you've chosen business as your vehicle over, say, politics? Um, I can re- ask that if you want.
1: No, no, it's a good question. And in some circumstances, I think, you know, maybe it's both. And I think uh, through the chief entrepreneur role, I've been able to engage uh, with, at a state government level and see how that works. And that's been a really interesting learning experience. And in 2024, I'll be doing some work with the federal government through a board that I'll be um, part of. And so that will be an interesting learning curve as well. Uh, I think for me, I'm really conscious that I am an action-focused person and to to be able to, so it's that balance of getting the doing stuff done and also being able to be part of setting some of the strategy. And I think there's different ways that we can do that. And so historically, I've said, you know, I can influence things in Gundawindi without being on the council and i think that's actually a bit of a cop out now i've decided and so one of the things you know we've got elections happening in 2024 and and i'm in a run for council and i think at that, that got the exclusive it here first yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but i think i think you know at local levels that is where we can move the dial the most and where we have the most control over things and i think that's been one of my learnings in recent time and i think i can run a business and be on local council because one actually benefits the other in the fact that I get to bring that ex- business experience to the council table and and be really ambitious about what this region looks like. Um, I think then for me, whether it's politics at a, you know, state or federal level, but I think it's around how we can genuinely engage and be part of some of those conversations. And there's a whole lot of ways that we can do that. And one of the things that I think is really become obvious to me and is part of the next step of where I am going in the next couple of years is how do we make sure that regional decision makers and regional leaders get a seat at the tables where decisions are being made and I have been through a whole range of different threads one of the people that's been invited to sit at state and now federal tables to make decisions without needing to be a politician to do that I can't be the only one we need to look at more The ag industry obviously have all of their industry groups and yet the government is often looking for people who can represent a demographic. And so some of the work that Joe Palmer, who I know you know, Joe and I are looking at doing, is how do we actually help use the platforms that we have to get more regional people to decision-making tables? How do we take all of the investment in regional leadership and regional scholarships and for the people who want to be able to use that influence and get them to tables where things are happening, there are roundtables, there are advisory committees, there's all of these opportunities. And often the most regional person is Julia in Gundawindi. And when we look at a map of Queensland, one, I just make it into the state on the southern end. Yeah, yeah. And what's happening in Gundawindi is not quilpy. Is not Mount Isa, is not Cairns or Thursday Island, right? So we need to have more regional people making decisions. We are the most decentralised state in Australia. Our decision makers need to be more decentralised than other places. And so that's a really, that is where I want to spend some time and energy and getting the stories out and helping share, you know, and helping connect our urban and particularly our governments connecting with people who can help make decisions. I always assume positive intent. Mm-hmm. I think governments in every state and at a federal level across Australia genuinely want our country and states to be better. Either side, whoever's in, whoever's in power, I don't actually care, whoever's there wants to leave a better place than what they received in however they think that's been achieved. And I think what I'm really keen to do now is look at, well, how do I help them find more people to help them make better decisions? That'll be really interesting to watch. I, I want to ask you, and it's a, a statement, a saying
0: that I've heard a few times, and I want to understand how it's worked in your sphere, but like, you can have everything, but you can't have everything all at once. How have you balanced and taken that on? Mm,
1: yeah, I think it is a really good conversation. So I think you can have everything if you're prepared to outsource who helps you do it. So I think, you know, so, so in some circumstances you can have it, you just can't do it all. So you can have it with support from a whole range of different people. So that might be one piece. I'm also acknowledging, as, it, as I said, you know, I haven't raised a family, so I sit in a different position to maybe um, other women who um, are in a similar position career-wise and all of the rest of it. It's really interesting to me. I have never had uh, a guy... I've never had a man in regional Australia say, oh, you know, you've only got there because you don't have a family. I have had women say that. Uh, oh, I wonder if you'd be this successful if you had kids as well. So I think the sisterhood sometimes still needs to check itself. Mm. Um, but I think it's about there's two things that kind of come to me as you make that phrase. And one is what's for you will never pass by you. Um, And so maybe I've thought I missed it, but it was actually never for me anyway. And so, you know, that might sound a bit woo-woo to some of the people listening, but I think if it was meant to be for me, it it would have been. And so it's not that I couldn't have it. I just, that wasn't actually for me. So if it's for me, it'll come to me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and the other thing is, I think, at different times in our lives, and, and if we think about it in terms of that sort of crucible moment concept, what you think you want and what you think you need will change in an instant based on other things that happen. And so I am five years past treatment for cancer. So I had breast cancer when I was 38. Uh, And I very quickly realized at that time that I actually did not have a business. I'd built myself a job. So I had a really profitable job, but I didn't have a business. And so pretty much overnight, I was scrambling to sort stuff before I was out of action for months, including having staff that I employed and looked after and felt a responsibility to them. And so at that stage, I really couldn't have very much at all. And, and yet, in the five years since then, you know, there's lots of things that changed that came back bigger and better. Now, let's definitely not have cancer just to be able to rejig your business strategy. Um, but I but I think, you know, what came from that was an ability to then say, okay, this is, you know, I could wallow and be a victim to this or I could be really clear about how I'm going to use this situation to to refocus and rejig some things. So I think it's this piece around, you know, having what is probably the bit for me, like, what is it that you want to have? And, and once people can get clear on that, then we actually start to look at, well, have you got, you may have it all and it's just looking like a different thing. You know, you actually have what you want. You're just not actually labeling it in the right way or, I don't know, that probably doesn't make sense, but yeah, I think if it's, if it's for you, it'll come to you.
0: Yeah, I love that saying. I'm noticing on your wall that you've got a question, which would be remiss of me not to ask you. Uh, so with everything you've done <laughs> um, and continue to do, that what you've got written on your wall is obviously business in the bush. What does it take to grow a profitable small business in regional Australia?
1: Thanks for that question, Ollie. While I gather my thoughts, no. So, so I think this is the. the, It comes back to the piece that we were talking about around, you know, your word prosperity, my word viability. You know, we need businesses to be successful in the bush, and we need people to be proud of running them. Now, the pride word might stick for some people as well, um, but we need to actually talk about it. And so, to run successful businesses in the bush looks like understanding our finances, looks like actually having a plan and, and knowing what's going on. Um, we did some work. It was actually funded by the federal government. We did some work in this neck of the woods when some of the water buybacks were happening uh-huh. uh, and, and it was actually focused on the, down, the you know, main street businesses. So if, if there's producers that have less water allocation and that might impact their farming, what does that mean for the business community of Agundewindi, St George, and and Bandy? And so the business has actually got some mentoring opportunities. And the five things that kept coming back were the same for everybody. We worked with 100 businesses. All of the businesses, the five issues that people had was around financial literacy. We don't actually understand whether we're making or losing money. The workforce planning. So, oh, geez, I'm actually getting to a stage where I can't afford to have you on the books, Ollie, but I know you and I like you and I'm going to run into your partner in the shopping center and how do I actually, you know, so workforce planning, when do we add and subtract people from the wages list um actually strategic planning so what is it that we're actually here to do and how do we help like raise our eyesight for a little while and actually think about what we want to do um the piece around succession planning so are we are we hobbling our next generation because the expectation is that they'll come into this business that may or may not actually exist and actually this piece around mental health and people having time out of the business and that that very rarely happens on-farm and in off-farm businesses in, in our communities. And, and so, you know, we, we can't have a ghost town. So we need to actually be solving and having some of these harder conversations if we want to be able to do that. And for me, I think, as you know from um, the work that you're doing, people learn through stories, right? So we could go and do all of the theory that we wanted around successful businesses and what are the five main areas of a su- successful small business. What I want to do is find the stories of people that have had them and maybe haven't had them. And how do we all learn from that? What are the themes that come out of that? What do we need to be able to really value and hold on to as bush businesses or not? And and I guess the experiences that I've had and and spending more time in, you know, the Brisbans of the world, the the issues in small business in a urban and rural based setting are not that dissimilar. I think the challenges are just greater. You know, it's we're all having difficulty finding staff. It's really hard to find staff when this it's a smaller population base, or you know, we're having difficulty marketing online. It's really hard to do that if everybody's in drought and nobody's got any extra cash. So we're not that different from our small business cousins in the city. It's just maybe more heightened, and I think more personal when you know it's hard to sack somebody and then see them down the street.
0: Yeah, yeah. So interestingly, like and through that story piece. So that was exactly why we did a, a piece with the New South Wales government last year, about a business series. And we were chatting about the main thing was like business communication, business management, um, and succession to a an extent. And that why I wanted to bring in some businesses from outside agriculture was and I, I would have loved like a family building company, like a the Kennards of the world or something. But we got um Phil from Mungrel Boots, which is, so fifth generation, there's three generations currently working in it, have been making boots in Australia for however long, 100 plus years or something. Um, And what they go through in terms of succession and decision-making is actually really similar to family businesses. And then on top of that as well, they have a huge need of a workforce. and, And how could, and that's where stories come in. It's like, well, is there something that they could learn from Phil's story and how they've approached something? And if it's one thing that benefits someone else, then it's worth doing?
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. That's, yeah, that would be awesome. And I think that's the thing, right? Like boots or beef, actually the humans in the businesses are very similar. Yeah. And so how do we take those learnings and share it across, um, I think is really important.
0: A hundred percent. So a couple of questions to wrap. Like for, for you and being involved in, in the Gandhi era, what, if you had your magic wand... And, and this area started to thrive. What would be some of the things that you'd love to see happen in here?
1: Uh, so I think we are lucky that we're a community that already thrives. And that means we can't take our foot off the accelerator. Mm-hmm. I think the opportunities here are around, you know, how do we bring manufacturing back? This whole piece around national capability and national sovereignty so what does the value add and the manufacturing look like? How do we how do we really kind of see where there's opportunities for that? And then what that brings in terms of the logistics and the transport and all of the opportunities. We've got some great examples here that I think we could be adding to and supporting more. Uh, I think this piece around what else can we offer in a regional setting like this and so um, You know, the regional tourism is a really great opportunity. I think the whole piece around First Nations tourism uh, and understanding and opportunities there is really exciting. Uh, And I think there's still a whole lot of opportunity to look at what's happening from an innovation perspective. What are people working on or tinkering on around the edges here that actually has a commercial opportunity and how do we help them commercialise those trials that they're doing? I think regions like ours are ripe for the picking in, in some of those opportunities. So value-add manufacturing, you know, some of the regional tourism and, and other opportunities that we've got and really looking at commercialising and, and seeing what we've got that we can scale as some of the areas that I reckon the next 10 years of Gundy will be super exciting.
0: We'll Watch this space. So one final question, you get the chance, and I'm just going to say Year 10 students anyway. Yeah. So they're all watching anyway. Yeah. If you had the chance to chat to your 10 students about, let's just agriculture, rural Australia, yeah. what would you say to them about the opportunities there?
1: I would say that there is no job that you can do in a Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane that you can't do in the regions. There is any career that you want can happen in regional Australia. Uh, and the diversity that you would have working in that role is, is really great that living regionally and working in agriculture should be seen as a career and a really profitable career. You know, crudely, you can make a lot of money working and living in the regions and I think that's something that we need to be able to explore and I think um, the last thing that I would say to them is if you try before you buy, you know, ask your networks, use your networks. People are far more generous than anybody's ever led to believe um that networks will help you with anything that you want. You just gotta ask. On the topic of asking,
0: is there anything that you're curious or wondering at the moment that you would love to throw out to the humans of our community and see what comes back?
1: Yeah. Okay. You ready for another hour? No, I promise I won't <laughs> ask for an hour. Uh, so there's a couple of things for me. I I am really curious around hearing from people who have, you know, who wanna help broadly promote businesses in the bush. So that piece of what does it take to run a successful business, I would be really keen to hear from people about that. And I mean, in light of the recent conversations that we've had and your experience here, how do we handle some of the negative issues that we have in our community? So your experience with crime at three o'clock this morning, how do we in our regional and rural communities, how do we work on some of those challenges and some of those situations and at the same time keep promoting our communities right so so that we there's that balance for me at the moment around we can't just say oh no come to gundewindi it's the most awesome place mm, actually chances are you might lose a car or y- your door might get that's a real thing Knocked at the on moment very hard, that's, hard that's a real cha- that is a real thing at the moment and so how do we not be so pollyanna and and blinded about all of the goodness, and still manage that. So I, my question in a very badly constructed way. My question is, how other communities might have managed that or balanced that, and and again, how other small communities might be dealing with some of the challenges that they've got in their communities, and what could we learn from that as a as a Gundawindi region?
0: Mm. Well, and I, I think be really interesting, and I think it's it's part of the conversations, which I think it's like acknowledging the bruises that different areas have and go like, well, this is the reality of it. And I think it's, but then it's saying, well, we want to make it better. And how do we make it better and make it a bump in the road as opposed to just a
1: roadblock? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, this is not a quick fix, right? And I Mm. think it's not as easy as some might be, you know, some might talk about it. And we have our own challenges here as a cross border town and all of the things that we spoke about before. But I am really keen to see and hear about how other communities have been able to manage it uh, or deal with it or not deal with it. So we don't, you know, make the same mistakes that other communities have. Um, I genuinely think that um, the the crime and some of the challenges that we're seeing in community are a symptom of some much bigger issues. And And how do we genuinely make sure that everybody feels connected to place? I think, you know, if people feel a connection and a and a love of place and loved by a place, that might help solve some of those problems, um, but that's a long-term fix because we've ended up here after a lot of other challenges. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll see what comes back from that. But yeah, Jules, thank I'm you excited. so much for sitting down. It's been a little while in the making and I reckon we'll be back for more.
1: Oh, I'm so excited by what you're doing, Ollie, and I know lots of people say this at the end of the podcast, <laughs> but, you know, kudos to you and your team that you now have. Um, This is part of, this is part of how we are going to get good, positive, intelligent conversation out into the mainstream is the work that you're doing and that other people are doing. But yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: Well, that's it for another episode from us here at Humans of Agriculture. We hope you're enjoying these podcasts and well, if you're not, let us know, hit us up at hello at humansofagriculture.com, get in touch with any guest recommendations, topics, or things you'd like us to talk and get curious about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Rate, subscribe, review it. Any feedback is absolutely awesome and we really do welcome it. So look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane. We'll see you next time. See ya.